All right, so data storytellers. Today, this is a bonus session. We had a fantastic conversation with Vivek Patel a few months ago, one of my favorite episodes. Um, I remember I was actually doing the podcast with the Vancouver Skyline behind me. We didn't have the studio already. And I really enjoyed the conversation. Our audience loved it as well. And we brought back Vivek for a round two uh, because we're going to talk about scaling analytics in the enterprise. And he seems to have some answers. So Vivek, welcome back on the show. Thank you. Happy to be here. So actually, you and I had a follow-up conversation um, because uh, from our podcast, you also liked some of the some of the bits. And uh, we had this follow-up dialogue about change management and how to actually scale analytics in the, in the business. I was happy to see just literally today, you shared an article about uh, a change management playbook called Pace. Uh, immediately caught my attention. I was very glad that we had this call scheduled or can actually unpack it. So uh, basically scaling enterprise analytics with Pace in the introduction, you mentioned that folks, folks have been asking you a ton about your method and approach to driving successful teams and solutions for large and small organizations. But I was one of those folks. So uh, I would love to hear your thoughts around this. So first of all, I always like to sell the problem first. And maybe this could be a short reminder of the, for those who haven't listened to our previous episode, uh, what are we actually going to talk about today and why? Yeah. So, I mean, if you think about kind of the problems that come with analytics teams or what a lot of practitioners, you know, face is it's, it's, you have a lot of organizations that hire up analytical talent, but they don't necessarily provide the tools that are necessary for you to scale, right? And, and scale your team make it successful and ensure that what you're building has longevity to it and it has organizational buy-in so that you can continue to grow, right? Um, because if you think of analytical functions, we're not talking analysts or finance analysts or marketing analysts. We're talking about centralized analytical functions, folks that are building models, that are curating data, that are, that are building true analytical solutions. These are, in most parts, net new additions to an organization. And when you start, Maybe you're given yourself as a single resource, or they let you hire one or two folks, and then you're trying to figure out, okay, how do I how do I grow this thing to grow my impact? And you know, the the things that I have experienced, right? Trying to build, it's like building a startup within a large company or a small company. Is you know, when I did it at Intel a few times, when I when I'm doing it currently at my current role, you know, the the way that you have to try and drive scale within an organization. Is really challenging and it's different. And if you don't have the right perspective of how to embed yourself within, you know, the 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 core of what your business does, it becomes incredibly hard to scale your team. Right? It's easy to become incredibly like, frustrated and and say, okay, well, how do I go from three to five to twenty to thirty to forty to fifty, and how do I increase my reach? Um, and so it's really important to kind of you know stand back and think about. Okay, what is a what is a legitimate way for me to scale this organization and this capability within you know this big company that we're trying to build? Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that a lot of people already brought their notebooks out and are ready to take notes. Uh, again, in the spirit of um, kind of in, including everyone in this uh, conversation, I know we talked about this on the on the podcast. But what were some of those key experiences that you've had? Maybe your track record in positioning you to actually come up with this playbook in the in the first place. Yeah, so I started my life in banking and so my my 
and and my background is in economics, right? It's a business background and economics background. I have an MBA and some technology management, but at influencing, right? The influencing portion of it was really important to me because, you know, I'm, I'm generally an introverted person and I'm not really good at talking to people. And so, you know, trying to figure out how to influence folks is really important to me. And so when, you know, my background, when I first started in banking, you know, as an analyst, as a risk analyst, as somebody that had to utilize data to make, you know, decisions for folks, credit decisions for individuals, um, it was really hard to get access to information, right? To build the models, to build the, you know, to, to drive the analysis that could, you know, make an informed decision. It would take, you know, a week or maybe even two for IT to come back with the information that I needed. And so I took the skills that I had, the, the some coding skills that I learned in my, you know, economics classes, econometrics classes, the statistical courses that I had, I taught myself SQL, taught myself Python, and went off and tried to figure out, you know, how do I drive good analytical solutions? And if you've ever worked at banking, right, even in the early 2010s or whenever it was, it was, you know, DOS-based systems. Like every, the back end of a bank was incredibly archaic. They didn't really invest in technology. Right. And you could argue that a lot of the big banks have just started investing in a lot of technologies as they see fintechs right, become more and more uh, prominent right, in, in the environment. And so, you know, exposure to lack of technology forced me to try and learn how do I modernize at least my processes to get better at what I do. And so as I progressed in the banking or, you know, banking industry, I started taking on leadership roles that managed, you know, analytical teams or, or, you know, teams of individuals that had to work with information and drive solutions and analyses and insights. And then when I moved to Intel is where I really kind of increased my acumen and scope, right? I joined Intel as a consolidator, you know, working in their financial or you know, financial teams, uh, consolidating financial information. And, you know, at Intel, you know, maybe there was 2,500 people in their finance team alone. And there's, you know, the organization was 110, 115,000 regular, you know, blue badges, what they call them. And then you had a bunch of contractors, I think in aggregate, there was over 200,000 people, right? At any given point in time working there. And, you know, even them, you know, they didn't have a lot of, you know, automation or, you know, data savviness when you think of like using, you know, your technical skills, you know, programming skills or programmatically coming to solutions, you know, they would use Excel. Everything was in Excel. And so even in, at Intel, you know, as I was a consolidator pulling information together, you know, working with partners around the organization, we started scaling up solutions around, okay, hey, can we start building, you know, not access databases, like let's go work with IT and build, you know, real SQL databases or use SQL server analysis, you know, services. Or when Power BI first came out, you know, we were one of the first enterprises to take on and I drove the Power BI implementation at Intel right, for the entirety of the organization. Um, you know, I kind of positioned and moved myself into a place where, you know, I, I tried to drive as much analysis and automation within the organization as I possibly could to where they say, hey, look, there's no one else doing this. We need you to help drive, right? And they gave me two resources. So that's it. They said, Vivek, it's you, two people, help us drive automation across the organization. Um, especially as it pertains to our financial reporting capabilities. And I said, well, that's great, but what am I going to do with just three folks in this large organization and all these 2,500 to even more, right? When you think of, you know, ops managers and people that are reliant on financial data to drive budget decisions, to drive execution decisions. And so we very methodically started identifying, 
you know, problems within the organizations. Um, how do we drive, you know, it's going to go into that framework, right? Pace, problem solving. How do we drive accountability within the organization and bet ourselves within critical functions? And how do we communicate, right, with individuals the right way and provide solutions the way that they need it? And then how do we drive, you know, the work back to the analyst community so that they can, you know, they have some ownership, they're empowered to do work. And, you know, we have the ability to scale, you know, centralized models to be customized for those end users, right? And so we were able to take our team of three. Uh, by the time I left Intel, we scaled it to about 35 folks in two years by self-funding, right? Finding a billion dollars here, finding 500,000 hours of efficiencies there. Like we, we started going really fast. And as we started growing capabilities within the organization, you know, the funding and the people and the resources just started presenting themselves, right? Um, so that's at Intel. And then as I moved into Ampere, I now oversee Ampere's global IT operations. Um, but I was originally hired in to manage their enterprise data management capabilities. And so overseeing their platforms, technology, their data, cl their cloud technologies um, for data and, and enterprise usage of data within the organization as well. And so even here, again, we're a smaller semiconductor organization that's you know scaling faster than any organization I've ever seen. Um, and my challenge is how do I take this team and start scaling their capabilities so that we are critical right, to everything that happens within the organization. And why I also told you when we caught up that, yeah, this topic, let's make sure to find some time and, and record it is because we hear it all the time now in the community. That, Look, this is what I'm looking at. I need, I need to get any resource I can get my hands on so that I can scale analytics or scale AI in the business. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, I recorded a data story with Ankur Manaki, one of our alumni, who's a senior director of analytics solution at Honeywell. So you guys probably can release big, uh, a big B2B brand. And uh, we talked about that and he, and we kind of unpacked his playbook. And your approach is different, obviously, with a lot of uh, uh, commonalities because we're all looking to achieve similar success. So first of all, who is this playbook for who would you say that are in the right position to benefit from from the playbook in general? Yeah, so I, I honestly believe that this this is incredibly helpful for those individuals that are responsible for growing an organization or capability within their organization, right? So you're small, right? You're not being hired in, and you don't have unlimited resources. If you did have unlimited resources, please tell me. I'd love to work where you work, right? It's you don't have unlimited resources. That's the reality of everybody's situation. And so you're an individual that has to make decisions on how to grow your team and how to drive capabilities and um, efficiency and optimizations and business process enhancements, all that kind of stuff within your organization, right? It is on you to help figure out how to drive all these impacts with the limited resources that you have, right? And then utilizing those limited resources to start scaling up your team and scaling your reach, right? broadening your reach within the organization. So let's say that person is listening right now. Probably there are many people mm -hmm. in that exact position listening right now. So PACE, you already mentioned what the acronym stands for, but maybe we can take it one by one. So sure. the first one is uh, problem solving. So what do you mean by problem solving and 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 how will this become actionable in the, in the book? Yeah, this is one that took me a little bit to kind of because problem solving sounds really, really, really like, uh, of course, you're going to solve a problem. Like, what else are you going to do? 
Um, but the thing with it is when you start getting into the world of data and analytics, the thing you want to do is like the, you want to go after the incredibly, the super sexy problems, you know, the ones that are really cool. Like I want to build an algorithm that does this, or I want to create an ML solution that can go off and get trained on a bunch of information and come back and provide insights on that. Like you, you want to drive those really big, um, data science feeling solutions, right? Um, and that's good. But what people don't tell you all the time is that a majority of the time, those solu those like projects don't really materialize into anything. And that's a, that's a really okay answer if you're driving a data science team, right? If you're, if you're driving a data science team and all your job to do, like your job is to just go off and drive analyses, you inherently know that a lot of the time you're just going to be wrong. Right. What is this? I mean, data science is you're wrong. You're just trying to be the least wrong person in the room. Right. When you're trying to drive and scale an analytics organization, you know, you have to start thinking about beyond just the, the really cool AI solutions or broad umbrella ML solutions. You want to start thinking about, you know, automation and real business problems that exist within your environment. These are, these aren't like, really super amazing things. These could be really boring things. Data governance, like to some people is incredibly boring, but is critical for you to be able to scale analyses across the organization. And so if you start looking at problems, like real, not duct tape solution, like how do I drive automation at this level? Like you start looking at problems that are core to your business. Why are my transactions not coming through our ERP accordingly? Well, it's because, you know, these little things don't work here and, you know, we're getting a, a data feed from another outside vendor and it's coming in, it's not coming in cleanly. Well, could your data team ingest the information, you know, write some logic on top of it and be able to drive the solution back into the ERP? And could you then output a report that could drive some analysis for us? Absolutely. That's not the first type of problem you go off and so try to solve, but that is a problem that is critical within your organization. And so... If you go try to solve a data science problem, sure, it looks cool. But if you go and solve the transaction problem in the ERP and try driving analytics there, well, now you're doing something that's core to the business because an ERP is core to everything that runs within an organization anyways. And so when you're thinking about problem solving, you want to make sure you're, you're solving things that are core to the issues that exist within your environment, not just the cool analyses that you know everybody wants to do. Hmm. So it's more like a, a, a targeting advice here of look, yeah, so absolutely. And, and th that's such a good point because actually I, ne I never realized because no one really articulated it. It's kind of like water to a fish is that in data science, data scientists and people in analytics are usually pretty good at solving problems just because of the nature of the field. Right. Um, <laughs> and this means that, okay, you have this powerful tool maybe shift the focus a little bit and get closer to core issues in the business. So direct that kind of laser cannon, if you will, and, and just get closer to the fire because it will pay dividends to you in the in the long run. Exactly. And and again, you you're not chasing things that are flashy. You're chasing things that are again, transactions in a system don't sound amazing, right? It doesn't sound like you could sell this to any but if you go in and fix the transactions in the system, you're impacting way more people downstream than anybody else would. And you're embedding yourself to core functions within the organizations, which is really, really, really important. Because as you're trying to scale your team, 
one of the things that you have to go off when you're influencing individuals to get resources to say, how do you actually drive change within the organization? How are you impacting the organization? And if you're consistently in these cycles of trying to drive really cool analyses and not materializing in anything, it's going to be really hard for you to do that. So you have to work in solving problems that are core to your business function. Quick question on that. How do you have a playbook or even just maybe a high-level roadmap on how to find these problems, how to find the right problems? Um, do you have any kind of specific approach on asking the right questions from the right people, looking in the right places? Any thoughts around that? Yeah, I can't remember where I read it. I think it was something it was something from Motorola, something like five whys or something, right? Which is when somebody comes to you with a problem, keep asking why until they can't answer it. Mm. Right? My report doesn't work. Why? Well, it's because these things don't line up. Why? Well, it's because the transaction for this thing is coming in wrong in this system, so I gotta do this thing over here. Why? Well, that transaction is coming in wrong because the data feed's coming in through an SFTP upload as a CSV file and the vendor keeps changing things around there. Well, cool. But why? It's because we haven't talked to the vendor and haven't set up a standard process. Cool. Let's go back over to that vendor, set up a standard process, get the template in appropriately, and then we can ETL the data in appropriately. And then your report will come out the way it needs to look. Like Keep pushing back and driving your data solutions as far upstream as you possibly can. A lot of folks stop with the problem. Hey, my report's not working. Well, cool. Laszlo, like I'm just going to go off and build the Power BI report. I'll ingest the data as it is, put a bunch of logic on top. And maybe it breaks someday in the future. Maybe it doesn't. It's not my problem. I'm going to have another job. And so like some people stop and, and a good data and analytic function, good data and analytic organization starts digging deep until they get to the root right, of the problem, the business process problem. And then you have to go and deal with business process owners. You have to go deal with the politics within the organization. You have to go deal with a whole bunch of folks that you don't necessarily want to. But that's how you drive sustainable changes within the organization. That's how you drive sustainable solutions within the organization. Um, and you're driving, and you're you know solving real problems. Mm. And a lot of times we say that, hey, look, you can't just be a reporting vending machine. You got to be a trusted advisor. You got to be a consultant, internal consultant. In fact, if you pursue this to its conclusion, you will become an entrepreneur. Now, this whole idea of a consultant, well, that's actually what a consultant, but a good consultant does. They come into the business, they are they, they have a mission which does have like a certain label, but as they start digging, they have to do have to deal with all this mundane stuff and things that no one else wants to deal with. And a lot of times it's just actually solving simple problems and getting to that point when you actually understand that, hey, for this big issue that we have, these small, small problems, that's what's actually keeping us at night. Let's get rid of that. that and in and of itself, just by that, just by that posture, you become valuable, right? Because suddenly yeah, they start agreed. to. Move. Yeah, agreed, hundred percent. So that's problem solving. All right. So what's A? What's uh, what was the second letter? Uh, in A is accountability. Um, this is a really important one. It is, you know, when you when you think about um, KPIs within an organization, or you think about solutions you're driving within an organization, it is really important that your solutions are being used to hold the organization accountable. What that means is I'm building a KPI. Well, cool. Do you, are you just stating facts? We have a thousand employees. Great. Now, does that drive any level of accountability within the organization? Probably not. So let's figure out how we can make these reports 
result in something that can actually drive change within the organization that leaders can utilize to hold people accountable within the organization because that's how you build solutions that again individuals are relying upon right because anybody can come out and write a sql statement or write something and build a report that has a bunch of facts on it but the second that your report is the one that is utilized to actually drive change not just change to actually hold individuals accountable and drive the business forward, that's when you really know that your team is critical to the function of the organization. And so, like, say you're writing a travel, you're building a travel and entertainment, you know, report. Well, can you utilize that travel and entertainment report to build functions and KPIs within there that can point out, you know, here are the anomalous spends that are happening in the environment. Here are individuals that are over the allotment you know, or over budget, here's who's under budget. And here's where you need to kind of target your focus. And here's how you as a leader need to, and it's individualized for leaders. And you can say, you know, here are the individuals that you need to go focus on. Here are the business areas that you need to go focus on. Here's the accounts that you need to go focus on. If you can use your solutions to help individuals and leaders at the organization hold everybody else accountable, then they are reliant upon you to be able to drive those solutions or continue to build and drive those solutions. And so it's kind of the so what, you know, of an analysis, right? There's the, I'm building an analysis, fantastic. I'm putting it on a report, amazing. And if a leader ever asks you, okay, so what does this mean? You've already lost them. Your report should always already tell them, what does this actually mean? So what, right? And so holding folks accountable and building reports that can hold folks accountable is really important. And it's one of the ones that I didn't, I haven't really thought about, right? My A was actually originally going to be adoption, which is really important too, but that comes in empower. I think accountability, if you can embed your solutions in a manner where leaders and ma managers within the organization are utilizing it to hold their organizations and their peers accountable, you're already kind of a critical function. Your team becomes a critical function within the organization. So I think this will be an aha moment for a lot of people because when we talk about accountability, a lot of times it comes up in the conversation about data governance, obviously, but this is almost uh -huh. like a, a, a more meta application of the concept of, of accountability, yeah. which I really like. So um, for those people who are having these epiphanies right now, uh, can you maybe just highlight some either real examples or hypothetical examples that would help uh, bring this to life for people? So, so what would be in a, a solution that helps leaders, business leaders, to keep others accountable that you can build as a data analytics practitioner? I have yeah. no ideas, I mean, but, but maybe you can give me some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll do a few. You can go with a few too. I, it, you know, the easiest ones are in the space of uh, probably HR, so what we call it Ampere People and Culture, and then finance, right? These are cost centers. Um, and they're, they're what you can think of as controllable spends within that environment, right? And so everything you spend on software, on hardware, um, on you know travel and entertainment, everything has a budget associated with it. So the easiest thing that you as a data and analytic organization can do is help your finance team build an automated um, budget tracker for the organization. You can build an automated headcount pipeline for your organization. And what these, what these solutions will do is you can say by account, right? By account type, what are you spending? What was your annual budget? 
the budget is the so what. Because if you can tell people what the delta is between what they're spending by account and what their budget was by account, and you can drill into transactions, you can tr drill into and see the expense reports. This is one that we've actually built. You can continue to drill into a TNE, and you can see the expense report. You can see what Vivek expense and what he was spending money on. I, as a budget leader or a budget owner, can quickly go in and say, well, holy cow, I'm 20% over my travel and entertainment budget, and Vivek went off and flew business class to where now? Like, let me go and figure this thing out, right? You're driving analyses at a level where leaders will start looking at it and saying, well, not only does this make me a better organizational leader because I can manage my budget better and understand my spending, but now I can look at all my purchase orders. I can look at you know, my trends. I can see where I'm going to end up spending. I can see where I'm over, where I'm under. I can see who the biggest offender within my organization is. If I have a large organization of 2,500 people, right? People at Intel had you know, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 employees within their departments, providing them a singular view where they can see, you know, their world, the so what, the deltas, and be able to manage it down to a level of granularity if they needed it, um, was game-changing. And not just that, they started utilizing it and saying, holy cow, you know, like, if I had this earlier, maybe I would have been able to control our spends, understand how we can push more money to R&D, make all these different trade-off decisions easier. I can hold individuals within my organization accountable, right? I can say, hey, you know what, Vivek, you are overspending in these software categories. You told me you were going to come in here, but you actually started spending up here. Do we need to adjust things down? Where are your trade-offs? What are you going to do over here? Like you start driving different levels of con you know, conversations within the organization. And the data and analytic team is core to being able to pull all that information together because creating a singular view with all accounts, forecast, actuals, drillable down to a document line detail is incredibly difficult. And on top of that, you added geography and all these different vectors and attributes that you can bring in. It's it's really hard to put together. But once you do, you, you basically build kind of this one-stop shop from a financial perspective to allow leaders to go off and manage their business better. That's one tangible experience that I've that we deployed at Intel and now at Ampere as well that's making a ton of difference. Hmm. I even see this, uh, I mean, ob it's obvious, but at the same time, I see how closely connected this is to even the previous point because like as you were talking, like my example would have been in sales, for example, especially high volume sales when um, managers have a hard time kind of cracking the whip on follow-ups, right? So so follow-ups we've heard, it's a lot, especially big B2B companies, but not just B2B, but again, high volume sales, managers keeping track of how diligent are salespeople in follow-ups because salespeople are notorious usually for following that gut, you know, sales is a relationship game, but it's just as much a process game as a relationship game. And for example, if you can build a solution and it, it's not even that difficult. And I'm, I know for a fact that it's been done a thousand times where based on lead score, basically the manager could get unified reports and notifications on lack of follow-up from owners of the leads specifically then he can easily tie, let's say, a North Star metric for the team to that. And the whole solution that you provide basically does the job for the sales manager. So the actual problem the sales manager has, it's not even a lack of revenue. It's a management issue for him and the human element that he can resolve with a technology solution or at least make his life as easy as possible. So basically, if you sit down and talk to the sales leader 
and you look for a lack of accountability or pain flowing from a lack of uh, accountability, then easily you can come up with this solution, which is actually not that hard to put together. I mean, depending on the CRM and all that stuff, but you know, for a qualified data science team, that's not like the biggest challenge uh, uh, ever, right? Well, and this this actually dives into the next one, which is you know communication, which is okay. You're going to come up with this solution, which is fantastic. But how do you how do you make it such that these folks are using it on a regular basis? Now, you know, there's this big divide still, right? Most executives have been around for 20, 30 years. And so they know Excel. Excel was cutting edge to them, right? We talked about this in our last, you know, in our last conversation. You know, the there's this technology divide, right? There's us, like us, I say us, but there's people younger than me. But there's folks that like using the fancy dashboards, right? So you have you know, Power BI, Click, Grafana, all these different solutions, even, you know, just custom dashboards of Python. Um, and in the back of your mind, you're like, man, I, I really want my manager to use these fancy dashboards. Like, why wouldn't you? They're great. They're good. They're on the browser. You can use your phone. You can do whatever you want. Like, it's just there. But they don't use it. And so the other piece is, yeah, we can drive accountability and we can get all these reports built. You can build the sales tool, right? The leads generation is a fantastic idea. Um, you could do all that activity, but then how do you actually enable them to hold their teams accountable? And so what I found is there's folks that love emails. There's folks that love PowerPoints. There's folks that love just, just a document that shows up. And so we've built different mechanisms to communicate with people and meeting them where they are. So if you just want to report on your top 10 offenders by account uh, for you know folks that are you know over budget, well, I can send you an email at the end of every week that gives you a rundown of your financial situation and the system just sends it. Poof. If you want to see the dashboard, you can click the dashboard and it will open up a dashboard in the browser and you can click around or you can use your phone, but it shoots you an email. If you want to see all of your purchase orders and the, the fulfillment of those purchase orders, meaning how many of them are close to consumption so that you need to open up a new purchase order, whatever it is, I can send you a PO consumption report every week, every day, every hour. You tell me. And my team can get that automated for you and send it out to you. Emails, PowerPoint, we can automatically generate a PowerPoint. I can embed a Power BI report in a PowerPoint for you. I can you know, have the team build an analysis that will turn out a PowerPoint report, create little text boxes where you can type in your explains for those information, the, you know, the pieces that you're providing to folks, and you can send that off to individuals. There are so many different ways for us to meet people where they are, and it's not hard. We often try to try like try to guide these individuals like herding cattle or sheep, right? But they are incredibly strong-willed individuals that make way more money than we do and care way less about the technology and they care more about just having the materials, right? The information that they can make decisions. And so it's really important to be able to communicate where they are. And so stop trying to make them consume it the way that you want them to provide it in a way that they want to consume it. And once they get used to the data, then maybe you can put a little link down there to say, click here to see the dashboard. The number of folks that I've gotten to become, you know, folks that consume reports in Power BI that never wanted to see a dashboard in their life, I've lost count because they start seeing the report and they're like, okay, now I want to, I'm comfortable with this. I want to start playing with it. But there's a link, click the link. Oh, this is easy. Start, well, this feels like PowerPoint. Start clicking around because I make the report look like a PowerPoint. Now they can start clicking around. They can start playing with it. Oh, now I can see it in my 
you know, PowerPoint presentation. When my analyst is going through, they could click through the data. That's fantastic. You start moving people towards there, but you never start with huge like change. So communication is really important. How you communicate and provide information is really, really critical. Also, stop using pie charts. I think we talked about this last time. I think pie charts are like the single worst pie charts and the radars. It's just, there's no need, the gauges, right? Um, Trick question. What if your stakeholder loves pie charts? <laughs> Do you meet so, them where they are or that's the line? That's like You meet them where they are. <laughs> I want them to adopt. So you meet them where they are with the, power, with the, with the pie chart. And then maybe a few iterations later, you put the bar chart next to it and you say, hey, look, isn't this a little bit easier for you to look at than the pie chart? And they're like, yeah, that is actually easier. Then you just replace it. You have to meet with them where they are and then you start moving them towards now, the change. That, I love it. Also because you know your C in communication is not just because here, we hear this all the time. Look, as a data science practitioner, you got to communicate well. Well, thank you very much. It's like excellent advice. But that, that actually you're, you have a very actionable piece there. Uh, which gets lost all the time, especially because it's the data science is, is an innovative field. I think yeah. there's a subconscious pressure that, hey, as a data science professional, I need to get people to use the newest, best stuff. You know, as, if, if they communicate via email, right, that obviously my job is to put them on this uh, like hyper data-driven analytics-fueled uh, messaging solution because it's so much better than email, right? Obviously, it's not a real example, but, but, but the, the principle applies. But in fact, no, you meet them where they are. It's almost like a a, a, a mind mind frame shift, uh, and it will just get you all the all the uh, results that otherwise would be just hidden from you. And this is also something that actually comes up when people when we talk to people about how to tell stories. I don't, it's surprising. A storytelling, a lot of times, it's like, hey, this is a visionary thing. You know, I'm just lead people into this brave new world. Ultimately, yes, but peace and lead. And the, the pace you cannot go around, like that's the essential part. I would say that's even the more important piece to have proper pacing. And then as you pick up the pace, right, then you can lead them. And I always bring this example right now. We're also working on an article and a playbook on the Apple a style of customer obsession and marketing and branding. And this is such a great example. Uh, as you were talking, I uh, probably because I'm just gonna immerse in the in the topic is that uh, both Microsoft and Sony really try to roll out different solutions with PDAs. You know, like there was a big thing of how you can use you know pen to uh, click the PDA. People just didn't want to do it. People simply didn't want to do it. But but why? Why aren't you not doing it? Don't don't you see how amazing it is? Here's like a huge marketing campaign telling you how amazing the pen is. And obviously, I'm telling you now, and you will use the pen. People didn't use the pen. So what, what Apple did is that they just went back to the, to the basics, met the customer where they, where they were. iPhone creates a whole category, even though the solution itself existed in other places. And to kind of add insult to injury and to be really audacious, years later, they bring out the Apple Magic Pen, the only pen that people actually used, right? <laughs> because they niched the product towards creatives, right? So I kind of love this approach. It's a perfect example of pacing and leading. Yeah, I mean, if you if you think about it, I'm trying to pull up the diagram here. I, I won't be able to share it, but like Apple, I mean, so there's a book that everybody reads in business school, Crossing the Crossing the Chasm, right? I remember reading this book um, years ago in business school. But most data science you know practitioners, like you said, they were innovators or early adopters, and so I'm always on 
news, like different news feeds or Reddit or something to try and figure out what the newest, latest thing is. My wife hates it because I keep buying new tech and some of it works, some of it doesn't, and it just kind of sits, right? So she's like, stop. Apple is a really good example of somebody that doesn't cater to innovators or early adopters. Now they're creating, you know, they have the VR goggles and it's like 3,500 bucks. So that's maybe early adopters. But a majority of the products that they sell, they're trying to target kind of that early, late majority phase and the laggards. So think about how long it took your folks to move from a flip phone to a smartphone. Now that same thing applies to your leaders, right? You're trying to move them from a flip phone to a smartphone. And you might be used to having a smartphone for decades or for, for years, right? They're just getting there. And so you have to start sitting down and walking them through, meeting them where they are. Critical functions. Here's the phone. Here's the calendar. Here's the email. Here's the iMessage app. Here's how you type. Use your thumbs. You don't use your fingers. Anymore. Like it's, it's just, it, they have to build the muscle and they don't have it. And we assume they do because we're, we're in a different, you know, we're, we're in a different portion of that chasm. And so it's in that, in that distribution. So it's really, 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 you know, I, I'm glad you brought it up because it just jogged, you know, my thoughts here. But when you're a data leader, you are not trying to cater your solutions to early adopters or innovators. There's no way your entire organization is early adopters and innovators. A majority of your normal distribution, majority of them, maybe early majority, but most of them are late to laggards. And how do you build solutions for those folks? Hmm. Such a such a good point. And actually, what we hear from data teams, especially the leaders who try to figure out like what are some of the bottlenecks in their team, that data scientists, a lot of times these PhDs, a lot of times they are young, so they're like super innovative. They find it either demeaning to kind of meet people at that level or condescending or uh, they feel like they are being patronizing with like this. But here's the flip. Actually, this is just good storytelling. That's what you're doing when you do that. And this changes the whole game, right? Because then what what hell and this is why we find this helps because then actually data teams realize, hey, wait a second. Like, oh, I actually have a skill gap in storytelling. So suddenly now it's much easier to kind of get where people are. I loved how you, how you framed it. And then you already alluded to the final piece, which is empowerment. So when adoption came up earlier, you mentioned that that will be, that will be included in the empowerment piece. So what is this empowerment piece? Yeah. So, I mean, just going off of communication, which is, you know, you talked about storytelling. I don't think, and I don't think anybody's going to pretend to say, if you're a data function within IT, you're any good at storytelling for the business. Or if you're a central function within a large organization that you're the only person or the only organization that can do storytelling for the organization, right? Most good data and analytic functions, central functions, right? If you're a leader of a team, that is a central function. This is not, you're embedded, but a central function. You're good at getting things 80 to 90%. You can get the data right. You can get some of the visuals right. You can get the, the data flows created, the pipelines built. This, you, know, you can build out the CACV pipelines. You can do all the technical ins and outs and you can get the data exactly where it needs to be. But people can only iteratively provide you requirements to such a degree to where you, know, you, you meet your limitations because you're not a subject matter expertise in their domain. 
And so you need to create solutions in a manner that can empower the individuals that you're catering the solutions to, to be able to take it on and complete it. Finish that last, you know, you finish the last mile, the last 10%, doesn't matter what you want to call it. But so many times I've seen analytical solutions or data solutions or, you know, ML solution, whatever it is, fail because some central team goes off and builds something. They deliver it to the end users, doesn't meet 100% of what they need. They try to utilize the solution. And then in a couple of months, you go back and you talk to them, hey, so how's it going? And they're like, oh, yeah, we're back to using the old thing. Like we, we just stopped using this thing. Or you look at your usage metrics and it starts going like this. And you're like, wait, why are they not utilizing this thing? They should be utilizing it. It's incredibly frustrating. And what I found is people still need ownership over the solution. And when you're a central function, you can, unless you actually own the process, you need to build it in a way where you can provide them a majority of the solution and let them customize it to meet their business needs. And that is the only way you're going to be able to, not only way, but that is one of the most you know, profound ways for you to get them to adopt what you're building. It's, it's that last little mile that is incredibly difficult for most data and analytics organizations to complete. And it also requires you to give up ownership. And it's really hard because, you know, a lot of, lot of teams, a lot of folks are trying to build their fiefdoms and build their scale and build their influence within the organization. And if I give this solution over to, if, if I'm building that, uh, that report for finance, the actuals and forecasts, and if I give it to finance and then they build a report, then they publish it and then they go show it to everybody. There are the people that, it doesn't matter, right? For me, I was like Wizard of Oz, the person behind the curtain, right? I just care about getting people to use data. And as long as I do that, my leaders will see it. They know finance isn't going off and putting the data together, but we enabled them to go off and build exactly what they needed to for their customers. They're the subject matter expertise, you know, subject matter experts, sorry. And in the event that they don't know how to build, we upskill them and show them, you know, we build a shell, customize it to however you need to. Here's how you're going to be able to publish it. Here's the security model. We're going to help you build on top of it. Have at it. Go drive adoption. I just want people to use data. That's all I care about at the end of the day. And so empower people within your organization to drive the solution at the end of the day. That is the way for you to gain adoption of a solution. Because if you cannot, you know, this is for most, this is for large organizations. If you're a small one and you, again, own the process, it's on you to do it. And you better have the subject matter expertise to do it. But when you're a central function like IT, or you report into a CDO, or you're just a central data and analytics function that's your job is to just get data together and build reports. You're a report shop, like you talked about earlier. You're just a machine cranking out reports. The utilization is not ever going to be there unless you can get the citizen developers, the people out in the business to come in and be a part of your solution and empower them to build. So this is really cool because the last mile problem, it comes up all the time in the community. In fact, one of the one of the popular data stories we have is from Francisco Rius from uh, Minecraft. He's the senior director of data science there. And um, he has a playbook on integrating analytics into the organization. In fact, how to achieve this analytics state when you're not only descriptive, but not only predictive and not only prescriptive, but you're integrated. And the last mile is, is like one of those bottlenecks. And 
So let me see if I get this right. So your proposition to this, uh, if for this, is that basically two things. One is that you don't finish the solution; you let the the stakeholder actually take care of the last mile. But at the same time, you kind of provide follow up support. So it's both being involved, staying involved, but at the same time, letting go of control. Did I get that right? Or am I like kind of- that, That's this? absolutely correct. And that's how you scale it as well, right? Because when you're a central function and you're supporting thousands of end users, there's no way you're going to build that many reports and be able to manage all of them. There's not going to be that many, there's no way you can manage that many analytical solutions, whether they're models or whatever it might be, and be able to manage all of them. So either you become the bottleneck or you become eventually on, on someone's income statement, you become a humongous cost center. They're like, wait a second, why is, why is Viva getting this much money? What does he need? Five million bucks for for a data and analytics team. That's a crazy sum of dollars. Like, is he driving that much value? At some point, it, it just is not scalable for you to drive everything 100% and then be able to manage it 100%. And so the way that we do it, very hub and spoke right, is central organization manages the core of the solution. We make sure the data is correct. We make sure governance is in place. We make sure the, the job monitoring is in place. We have 99.9% uptime. You have, the, you have the, the metrics out there so people can see, yes, this thing refreshed at this time, red, yellow, green indicators. Yep. This source refreshed, this source refreshed, this source. They, they have, there's reliability in the solution. My job. But then once I build that, you know, the, the core solution, our team builds a shell of a report and we call it a showcase. We say, here's everything that's in this model. You could, here's everything you could possibly do. And we deliver it. And within the, within the teams, so within finance, sales and marketing, within engineering, people and culture, within all these teams, we have champions. We have analyst communities that are going off and then receiving these solutions and saying, okay, I get it. I'm going to go off and build my thing. And they go off and build it. And we provide them the ability to publish their reports. If they're using Python, they could use you know their own Python libraries and do their analysis and be able to publish them. They could use Power BI. They could create email solutions. They could do whatever they want. Right? We help guide them to that solution because at the end of the day, they can manage the output. And so you start scaling to thousands of reports in the environment. You have core enterprise reports. Those will never go away. Those are built into your ERP. You have close, your core close reports. Those will never go away. No one's going to replace them. You're not going to have a million of them. Close is done off of a few set of reports. Financial statement reporting, few set. But all the other analytical reports that you guys are working on, go build. And you manage them. I'm going to make sure the data is correct. And so now you're pushing the onus on the business, but not just that they're actually going to drive adoption because it's that analyst that's a subject matter expert. He knows, she knows, they know how everything needs to be built for that GM. They know how everything needs to be built for that GM. They know how everything needs to put, put, be put together for that CFO over there. They can build it. Data is correct. It's always available. My team doesn't have to even think about managing that data platform or their report. All we do is make sure data is correct and folks can drive insights. That's all. And that has enabled us to scale way faster than trying to centralize ownership, right? Or for me to say, yeah, you know what? I want to own all the solutions. I don't care, right? That doesn't matter to me. My metric, I have it basically run it like a software development team. 
monthly average users, monthly unique users, daily average users, daily unique users, CM by organization, CM by job type. I can see who's accessing how, and I can see utilization go up. I know people are using data. That's all that matters to me. And it's almost like you letting go of control that what enables you to set all these fires across the business and you know suddenly it's a wildfire in a good way not like what we have right yeah. here in here on the west coast thing and yeah no no and it does spread and yeah there's going to be some redundancy in reports that's okay but at its core no one's creating local data repositories they're all using the data solutions that our teams are providing so if there's a data and analytic there's a there's a headcount report over there for this team and a headcount report over there for this team well, it maybe took them a half an hour to put that report together. It's refreshing all the time. I don't care if there's two of them. The data inside, it's the same, right? They're not localized databases that are living under someone's desk. That is the thing I don't want. I also don't want a thousand Excel reports everywhere. So getting rid of that as well. So as long as they're using connected data solutions and they're driving insights within their organization, it's going to drive adoption. And people are going to be using the data that they need to, to make decisions. And that's that's kind of how I focus on empowering, right? I need to build things in a manner where somebody else can then take them and then build upon them. I love it. So yeah, this was a powerful playbook. Um, it was super actionable as well. I loved how, you know, all the acronyms, apart from like the big picture orientation also had these action items. So, you know, we'll make sure to kind of riff on that uh, with the production team and we'll produce something like a cool mini movie from this. For the sake of that that mini movie as well, if, uh, would you mind kind of giving a short final summary, like an eighty twenty type of rundown of okay, data and this leader in a in a big company, you want to scale your analytic solution. To recap, this is what this is how you can use space. Yeah. Oh, you want me to do it right now? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Just like a, a quick rundown to to finish the podcast too. Yeah. So look, if you're, if you're a leader within an organization and you're just starting out or you, you've even been around for a little bit and you have a small team and you're trying to figure out, okay, how do, how do we make an impact within this organization? How do I drive something? You know, you know we presented this pace framework, right? But if you think of it from a flow perspective, you need a critical business problem that you're solving. Solve a problem, problem solve, right? It has to be something critical. And ask those whys. We talked about it within this podcast is, or this conversation. Ask the whys, right? Why is this thing breaking down? Why? Okay, well, it's breaking down because of that. Why? 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 And you as a data and analytic practitioner, instead of building just the surface level automation, start driving core business change. Go work with the business process owners and work to automate where the data actually is breaking down and drive the reporting solutions from there, right? Because then, then you can create solutions that can drive accountability within the organization. You can build solutions where leaders and managers can use your solutions to hold individuals, organizations within your world accountable and drive business decisions using your reports, right? And then using those reports or communications, right? C is communication. You could use emails. You could use PowerPoints. You could use Power BI. Don't get too hung up on trying to get people to see the world that you, the way you want them to. Or use the technologies that you want them to. Not everybody wants a fancy dashboard. Some people just want an email every single week. Get them to them. 
Because at the end of the day, your goal should be for them to use data. And you want them to use that data that's reliable, you know, that you've been able to put together in a manner that is always available when they need it, right? We don't think of real-time solutions. We think of, you know, what a colleague of mine, Kyle, at Intel, put together. He said, right time. People just want to see solutions when they want to see it. It doesn't need to be real-time. It just needs to be at the right time. It needs to be available when it's available. And communicate it. Emails, PowerPoint, does not matter. Meet them where they are. And then at the end of the day, you have to empower individuals within the organization to build. Because if you're a central function, you, for the most part, may not be the subject matter expertise, right? That is required or may not have that expertise that is required to drive the solutions within the organization. And so if you can build the core solution that the organization needs and then upskill the teams to start taking those solutions and building for their key constituents, their key partners, you're going to drive adoption within your organization of your data solutions way faster than if you're trying to just build the solutions and drive it yourself. And so empower people within the organization to take it and relinquish some of the ownership. It's okay for you to not be the one that's driving the analysis. You can be the person behind the curtain that's just curating the data. There is value in that. Not just is there value in that, it'll enable you to scale and broaden your reach and influence within the organization much faster than you had before. Well, I think this is like one of the one of the best summaries that we've had for some of these playbooks. So this was awesome. I'm glad we could do the follow-up. Uh, this was our second round. I think you were the maybe the second or third person who had a follow-up appearance on the podcast. So you know, welcome to the awesome prestigious group. And it was well. Well earned and well deserved. So this was fantastic. And I know that our uh, listeners and audience members, and especially community members, will gain a lot from this. And uh, look, we actually hope to uh, uh, meet up with you. We will have a few initiatives coming up, and uh, it uh, it will be cool to maybe showcase some of your some of your insights on on one of these events as well. Absolutely appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Thanks.